0: Listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volume, over 2,500 page work by the Venerable Maria Vagrata. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I encourage you to head over to Facebook, and there you'll be able to share your own insights and thoughts about what we've listened and read with others who are following along. Now, let us thank God for the life of Venerable Maria Vagrata. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria teaches how to pray and meditate. Today is day number 206, and we are reading from Volume 3, Book 5, Chapter 21, Paragraphs 231 to 239. Chapter 21 St. John, having obtained great favors from the Most Holy Mary, is ordered by the Holy Ghost to go forth on his public preaching. He first sends to the Heavenly Lady his cross. 231 I have already spoken of some of the favors conferred on St. John by the Blessed Mary during her sojourn in Egypt, also of her solicitude for her cousin Elizabeth and St. John when Herod resolved to take away the lives of the holy innocents. I have also mentioned that the future precursor of Christ after the death of his mother remained altogether in the desert until the time appointed by the divine wisdom, and that he lived there more the life of a seraph than of a man." His conversation was with the holy angels and with the Lord of all creation. This was his sole occupation, and never was he idle in the exercise of his love and of the heroic virtues which he began in the womb of his mother. Not for one moment was grace in him unprofitable, nor did he fail in the least point of perfection possible. His senses, being altogether withdrawn from earthly things, did not in any way hinder him. For they did not serve him as windows, through which the images of the deceitful vanities of the creatures are wont to bring death to the souls. Since this saint was so fortunate as to be visited by the divine light before he saw the light of created sun of this world, he overlooked all that is seen by the eyes of flesh and fixed his interior gaze immovably upon the being of God and his infinite perfections. 232. The divine favors received by St. John exceeded all human intelligence, capacity, and thought. His holiness and exalted merits we shall understand in the beatific vision, and not before. As it does not pertain to the object of this history to relate what I have seen of these mysteries, and what the holy doctors and other authors have written of his prerogatives, I must confine myself to relate that which is necessary for my present purpose, namely, what refers to the share of the heavenly lady in his exaltation, for through her St. John received most inestimable favors. Among them, not the least, was her sending food to him every day until he reached the age of seven years, which she did by the ministry of the holy angels, as I mentioned above. From his seventh year until he reached the ninth, she sent him only bread, but after that year she ceased to send him any food. For she understood that during the rest of his stay in the desert it was the will of heaven and of himself that he nourish himself by roots, wild honey, and locusts, which she accordingly did until he came forth to preach. Yet, though Mary did not any more send him food, she continued to send him her holy angels in order to console him and inform him of the doings and mysteries of the incarnate word. But these visits happened no oftener than once a week. 233. These great favors, besides serving other ends, encouraged St. John to bear with his solitude, not that the desolation of his abode and the severity of his penance caused him any discouragement. To make these desirable and sweet to him, his own wonderful holiness and grace were sufficient. But these tokens of love served to counteract the vehemence of his love, which drew him toward Christ and his mother, and to make their absence and the want of their intercourse bearable to him. For there is no doubt that restraining his desire for this intercourse was a far greater pain and suffering to his loving soul than all the inclemencies of his habitation, his fasting and penances, and the horrors of the lonely mountains, and would have been impossible if his heavenly lady and aunt had not assisted him by continually sending her angels to bring messages from his beloved. The great hermit inquired into all the particulars of the son and mother with the anxious solicitude of a loving bridegroom, Canticle six, He transmitted to them the message of his ardent love and of the sighs that came from his inmost heart, wounded by the absence of the objects of his love. He besought the celestial princess through her messengers to send him their blessings, and he asked the angels to adore and humbly reverence the Lord in his name. He himself ceased not to adore him in spirit and in truth from his solitude. He asked also the holy angels who visited him and the others that attended upon him to do the same. These were the ordinary occupations of the precursor, until he arrived at the perfect age of thirty years, and in this manner he was prepared by divine providence for his appointed task. 2.34 2.34 the destined and acceptable time decreed by the eternal wisdom for sending forth St. John, the harbinger of the Incarnate Word, the voice resounding in the desert, had now come. Isaiah 43, As related by the evangelists, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, under the high priests Annas and Caiaphas, the command of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the desert. Luke 3, 1. And he came to the banks of the Jordan preaching the baptism of penance for the remission of sins and preparing the hearts for the reception of the promised Messiah, pointing him out with his finger, who had been expected for so many ages. this command of the Lord, St. John heard in an ecstasy in which, by a special operation of divinity, he was enlightened and prepared by the plentitude of the light and grace of the Holy Spirit. In this rapture, he obtained a deep insight into the mysteries of the redemption, and he was favored with an abstractive vision of the divinity, so wonderful that he was transformed and changed to a new existence of sanctity and grace. The Lord commanded him to issue forth from the desert in order to prepare the way for the preaching of the incarnate word by his own, thus exercising the office of a precursor and all that pertained to it. For he was now instructed and filled with most abundant grace for his work. 2.35. The new preacher, Saint John, came from the desert clothed in camel skin, girded with a cincture or cord made likewise of leather. His feet were bare, his features thin and emaciated, his appearance wonderfully graceful, modest and humble. His soul was filled with invincible and magnanimous courage, his heart inflamed with the love of God and man. His words rang forth strong and forceful, piercing to the souls of the hearers like the sparks from the immutable and divine essence of the Almighty. He was gentle toward the meek, loving toward the humble, and wonderful in the sight of angels and men. Terrible to the proud, dreadful to the sinners, and an object of horror to the demons. He was a preacher fit to be the instrument of the Incarnate Word and such as was needed for this purpose of the Hebrews, who were so hard-hearted, thankless, and stubborn, and who were now cursed with heathen governors, Avaricious and proud priests, without enlightenment, without prophets, without piety, without fear of God, though they had been visited by so many calamities and chastisements for their sins, he was now sent to open the eyes of his people to their miserable state, and prepare their hearts to know and receive their Savior and teacher two thirty six. The Incureate John, many years before, had made for himself a large cross, which he had placed at the head of his couch. With it, he performed some exercises of penance, and he was accustomed to place himself upon it in the form of one crucified, when he was engaged in prayer. He did not wish to leave this treasure in the desert. Therefore, before issuing forth, he sent it by the hands of the holy angels, to the Queen of Heaven and Earth and requested them to tell her that the cross had been his greatest and most beloved companion in his long banishment, that he sent it to her as a precious treasure, because he knew what was to be wrought upon it by the Son of God, and also because the holy angels had told him that her most holy Son and Redeemer of the world often made use of a cross like this when performing his prayers and his oratory. The angels had made this cross, fashioning it from a tree in the desert, at his request. For the saint had neither the necessary strength nor the instruments for this kind of work, whereas the holy angels wanted not the skill and needed no instruments on account of the power they have over material creation. With this present and message of Saint John, the holy princes returned to their queen <laughs> And she received this token from their hands with innermost emotions of sorrow and consolation, at the thought of what mysteries were in so short a time to be enacted upon the hard wood of the cross. She addressed it in words of tenderness and placed it in her oratory, where she kept it afterwards, together with the other cross which had been used by her son. At her death, the most prudent lady left these crosses with other remembrances to the apostles as a priceless heritage, And by them they were carried through different countries where they preached. 2.37 In regard to this matter, I had some doubts, which I proposed to the mother of wisdom, saying to her, Queen of heaven and my mistress, most holy among the saints and chosen among creatures, as the mother of God himself, being an ignorant and dull woman, I find a difficulty in what I have here written, If thou give me permission, I would like to mention it to thee, for thou, O lady, art the mistress of wisdom, and hast deigned to be my teacher in the doctrine of eternal life and salvation. My difficulty is this. I see not only St. John, but also thee, my queen, reverence the cross before thy most holy son had died upon it. Whereas I have always believed that until the hour in which he wrought our salvation upon the sacred wood of the cross... It had served as a gibbet of shame for the punishment of criminals, and that therefore it was considered as a token of contempt and ignominy. And even the Holy Church teaches us that all its value and dignity came to the cross by its contact with the body of the Redeemer, and through its connection with the mystery of man's redemption. Answer an instruction given me by the Queen of Heaven, Most Holy Mary. 238. My daughter, gladly will I satisfy thy desire and answer thy doubt. What thou sayest is true. The cross was ignominious before my Son and Lord honoured and sanctified it by his passion and death. And solely on account of this passion and death, the adoration and reverence shown to it by the Church is now due to it. If any one who is ignorant of the mysteries which were connected with it, and which were so well known to me and Saint John, would have given it such worship and honour as I have before the redemption, He would have been guilty of error and idolatry, for he would have worshipped a creature of which he did not know what it was worthy of such honor. But we showed this veneration to the cross for several reasons. We knew for certain that the Redeemer was to accomplish his work upon the cross. We knew also that before dying upon it he had begun to sanctify this sacred emblem by his contact and placing himself upon it during his prayers, and in offering himself freely to die upon it. The Eternal Father, moreover, had accepted these foreseen works of the cross from his divine Son by an unalterable decree. All the actions and the contacts of the Incarnate Word were of infinite value and thus sanctified the sacred wood, making it worthy of the highest veneration. Whenever I or St. John showed this reverence to the cross, we had before our minds these mysteries and truths. We did not adore the cross in itself, nor the material of which it was made, for the divine worship was not due to it until the works of the redemption should have been completed upon it. But we waited for the formal execution of the work, intended to be performed upon it by the Incarnate Word. This was the real object of our reverence and worship of the cross, and this is also now the meaning and intent of the practice of the adoration of the cross in the Holy Church. 239 accordingly thou must ponder well thy obligation and that of all the mortals in regard to the reverence and esteem due to the holy cross. For if I and the holy precursor, even before the death of my divine Son upon it, so eagerly imitated him in his love and reverence of it and in the exercises which he performed in connection therewith, what should not the faithful children of the church do after they have seen their Creator and their Redeemer crucified upon it? and when they have the image of the crucified before their eyes. I desire then, my daughter, that thou embrace the cross with boundless esteem, that thou use it as the priceless jewel of thy spouse, and that thou accustom thyself to perform those exercises upon it, which are known and practiced by thee, without ever of thy own will forgetting or neglecting them, as long as obedience will permit thee. Whenever thou approachest such sacred exercises, let it be with a profound reverence and with a deep pondering of the passion and death of the Lord, thy beloved. Try to introduce the same custom among the religious. Zealously exhorting them thereto for no exercise is more proper to the spouses of Christ, and if performed with devotion and with reverence, it will be most pleasing to their Lord in addition to this. I wish that thou, in imitation of St. John the Baptist, prepare thy heart for all that the Holy Spirit wishes to work in thee for his own glory and for the benefit of souls, as far as depends upon thee, love, solitude, and withdraw thy soul from the confusion of created things. Whenever thy duty to God forces thee to deal with creatures, seek always thy own sanctification and the edification of thy neighbor so that in thy outward conversation and intercourse the zeal of the Spirit may shine forth. His exalted virtues, now known to thee, and those resplendent in the lives of other saints, should serve thee as a spur and as an example. Seek, like a busy bee, to build up the sweet honeycomb of sanctity and innocence so much desired in thee by thy divine Son. Distinguish well between the labors of the bee and of the spider, the one converts her nourishment into sweetness, useful for the living and the dead, while the other changes it into snare and venom. Do thou gather the flowers of virtue from the saints in the garden of the church, as far as thy weak endeavors with the aid of grace will permit? Imitate them eagerly and incite others by thy eloquence, thus drawing blessings upon the living and the dead, while thou anxiously fliest from the harm and damage of sinful deeds." This concludes our reading today for day number 206. We've been reading from volume 5, book 3, chapter 21, paragraphs 231 to 239. I remember one time walking through an art museum, and when I was at this museum and looking at the religious artwork, there were a few that caught my eye, and one of them in particular was a playdate of John the Baptist and Jesus. Now, it seems from the accounts of Maria of Agurda that this image that I've often considered that John the Baptist and Jesus maybe had a little play date one day probably never took place. Because we've heard that, you know, Jesus goes to Egypt. John the Baptist hides with his mother. Zechariah is killed. And then he lives in the desert. And up until the age of seven, Our Lady is sending him food and everything of that sort through the holy angels. But then today, we get this image, in a sense, that John the Baptist, receiving these angels, sends the angels back to Jesus so that they might adore him in his stead. And then when I read that, I'm like, well, I guess their play dates were a bit different. John the Baptist sending back the angels to tell the Lord Jesus how much he loves him and honors him. And I thought, wow, it's a beautiful image to think about, totally different than what that painter had in mind. St. John the Baptist was quite a holy man. And the story of his birth and how it came about miraculously, in a sense, since his mother was infertile. God had a plan. And as Zacharias said in that Benedictus, you know, that he would go before the way of the Lord to prepare the people and knowledge of salvation. And so John the Baptist has a lofty mission. John the Baptist, we heard today. His interior gaze immovably was fixed upon the being of God and his infinite perfections. So he contemplated divine realities. And then we think about John the Baptist and his forthcoming mission of proclaiming a baptism of repentance. And really, spiritually, what does it mean for you and me? Well, we get that in the instruction of Our Lady. I wish that thou, in imitation of St. John the Baptist, prepare thy heart for all that the Holy Spirit wishes to work in thee for his own glory and for the benefit of souls. So we're to imitate St. John the Baptist. We're to open our hearts to the Holy Spirit. This is something that as we hear in the readings, especially for the seasons of Advent and Lent, we talk a little bit about John the Baptist, preparing the way. And so we open our hearts in those seasons to that repentance that St. John proclaimed. But even now today, we can begin to imitate St. John. We can open our hearts. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.